Hello and welcome to PointCast. We're so happy that you can join us on our podcast today. We have Anthony Arnold. I got your name right. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> who is an active voter and has a lot to say about political issues that are not only affecting his life, but affecting the lives of people around him and his community. And you travel a lot, right? Yeah. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we go too far. Uh, so grew up here in Indy. Um, my parents are... My mom is black. My dad is white. And so for politics, that has always informed my perspective because I've had to learn to look at things from two pretty divergent point of views, mm -hmm. which, you know, gave me the ability to sort of walk between two worlds all the time, mm -hmm. um, which is beneficial when there's as much division as there is right now. So that's sort of how I grew up. We were always a politically active house, read the news. Uh, watched the news, read the newspaper, talked about things at the dinner table. Um, and I've always just been pretty, pretty interested in politics. It just, it really something I enjoy reading about and I just enjoy trying to stay informed of. With the political discussions that you had growing up around the dinner table, um, did you ever feel that your parents um, were pretty much on the same page or were they politically different? Um, or and, and how did that impact? Yeah. You? So they were politically, I would say they were different on some issues. The thing that sort of grounded them together was the values. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were both had a sort of religious aspect, mm -hmm. both believers. There was always a belief in sort of the right moral thing to do. And so they always had those things in common, even if politically you know, maybe their their idea about taxes wasn't the same. Or maybe their idea about some of the more granular details wasn't always the same, but they were always pointing in the same direction in terms of you should help others, you should try to be a good, kind person. Mm -hmm. And they wanted politics to reflect that, I think. So when you look at our current political landscape and you see um, what some people are saying is one of the most pol uh, polarizing situations we've had in a long time, and you see these differences that seem to fall along party lines and color lines. Uh, do you see any opportunities for people to come together on values the way that your parents did? I think there's an opportunity for that to happen. I just worry that neither party is very interested in pursuing that. Um, from oh. the Democrat side, mm -hmm. there's a reluctance to talk about morals and values mm -hmm. because it very quickly leads you into matters of religion which is something that the left has sort of drifted away from. That's despite the fact that some of the most successful civil rights movements, not only in this country, but in history, have had a faith component to them. So they've sort of turned their back on using that as fuel to talk to people about broader issues like morality, like values. On the other side, you have a party that has warped religion and morality and values to the point that it's basically irrecognizable and the current situation we have ourselves in is an extension of what they've been doing pretty relentlessly for decades you know Barry Goldwater Richard Nixon and the Southern Strategy Ronald Reagan and Welfare Queens George H.W. Bush and you know Willie Horton They've been running that game for decades and they've just now caught up to saying it out loud. Mm, mm -hmm. And so neither party is very interested in using morals as a way to bridge the gap. And so 
we end up in a situation where Democrats are talking a lot about facts and details and policy, which doesn't really move people. And Republicans are talking about, at this point, they're just talking openly about race, mm -hmm. which does move people. Mm -hmm. People care deeply about matters of race. Mm -hmm. That's why it, it works. Like Trump does it because it's successful. It's always been successful in this country. Why is that? Why do you think race is such, he's talking about it in a way that I would assume you wouldn't. Yeah, that's a safe <laughs> assumption. As a, as a biracial person, that's a safe <laughs> assumption that I wouldn't say anything he says. <laughs> but why is it um, such fuel yeah. to his, his base, yeah. do you think? It's America's original sin. Mm. The country was founded on two opposite poles. On one hand, we have this sort of classical liberal idea of freedom and individual respect. All people are created equal. At the same time, some of our founders were literally slaveholders. Mm. These two things are in complete opposition to one another. So when people like Trump and his base, when they say, well, this is how we see America, a mistake we make is thinking, well, that's not the America that we know. Well, that's that's actually not true. This is very much in line with one half of what America's always been. America's always been a deeply racist country mm -hmm. from our founding all the way up till now. There is mm -hmm. not a period in our history where you cannot find deep, troubling racism. Mm -hmm. So he says it because it really is an accurate reflection of some of our country's history. And that's a powerful narrative for people to hear because they want to hear well, he is continuing this tradition that we believe in. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to meet him on the field, so to speak, if you're just going to abandon talking about those issues, you're never going to overcome the attraction that he has to people. Do you, is that what you mean when you've said in the past that you believe politicians have a lack of historical perspective? Yeah, yeah. I, I think politicians lack historical perspective. I think voters lack historical perspective because you know, Trump is not a uh, Trump is not an, a, an anomaly. He didn't come out of nowhere. He came out of decades of pretty predictable history. If you look at the political history, if you take the perspective to step back and look at decades and decades of political history, you would see that it's, of course, predictable that we ended up with Donald Trump mm -hmm. because we've been slowly creeping and becoming more and more overt for decades now. Mm -hmm. And when you attack Donald Trump as if he is a recent event, you aren't attacking the actual problem, mm. which is that in a way, even the policies that Republicans have been pitching for so long, everyone knows they would do disproportionate harm to people of color. That's not an accident, right? When, when again, when Ronald Reagan says welfare Queens, we all know, we all knew who he was talking about. It, this wasn't a mystery. Mm -hmm. And when they say, well, we're going to reform welfare, mm -hmm. They don't mean we want to take away welfare from the rural white person in 
Alabama. That's not who they're actually talking about. And even those voters know they're not talking about me. Mm-hmm. When they say we want to take away welfare, they mean welfare from those undeserving black people. Mm-hmm. When they say Obama phones, they're not talking about the older, you know, poor white woman who is who has a phone through the Lifeline program. Mm-hmm. They're talking about well, you undeserving blacks who have iPhones and Walmart. That's who they're talking about. So why have we tolerated that dog whistling for so long in not just in the political parties, but among voters? Yeah, that's a really great question. My my opinion, my answer is a little troubling, Mm -hmm. unsettling, Mm -hmm. which is that it's just easier to not look at a problem sometimes. But that doesn't make it go away. No, it doesn't make it go away. But if you don't have to think about it, if it doesn't occupy space in your head, if it doesn't take away your emotional energy, it's just easier to pretend it's not there sometimes. So do you think that our elected officials are ignoring some of these serious issues that you're bringing up because voters are? Yeah, I think that's a big reason. Um, politicians crave nothing more than to, than to continue being politicians. The <laughs> thing they love more than anything is, as you mentioned before, getting reelected. That's mm-hmm. what they love. Mm-hmm. You can lead them by the nose to some degree. Mm-hmm. If voters care enough about an issue, the politicians will respond because they don't want to lose. I mean, but that know, requires a, a large enough collective to get yeah, their attention, right? I mean, it does. It does. On, mm-hmm. It requires a large enough collective. It requires there to be, you know, in, in a way, it's it's a call that I think is difficult to answer because I think it actually does require there to be some individual voices who can sort of carry the mantle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is a lot to ask of a normal citizen but that's unfortunately what a democracy requires mm-hmm. it requires that there always has to be a voice on the citizen side who can make the politicians look and say I will not go away <laughs> I have enough of a platform right. I have enough natural ability Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to make you look at this thing I'm doing and you build a movement and you force them to look at you. Well, there's a huge movement around several political issues, one of them being immigration. Yeah. But there's also a lot of debate around it. Um, So you would think with all of the discussions that would move politicians toward, you know, resolving or creating an immigration policy that would resolve at least some of the issues that we're seeing at the border, which are probably, it's more than just immigration reform. There is refugee status reform, and then there is true immigration, which doesn't rise to the level of an emergency. Right. Right. So there, I think we've combined two issues into one, and, and that's part of our problem. But with all of that discussion, why do you think we haven't had any movement? There was even discussion during... Um, George uh, W. Bush's um, uh, time in office, Obama's time in office, and now Trump's time in office. Yep. Why? Why are we stuck on immigration? So, on immigration, I think the reason we're stuck is because at so it's 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 so complicated, right? So much of this ties together. That you end up talking about like a dozen different things to, right. to answer. Well, let's break this down. Let's look at the yeah. obvious thing with the refugees, the, yeah. the children and the adults that we see being being detained. Right. 
<clears throat> so looking, let's just look at the people who are fleeing here, saying that they're fleeing harm, uh, instability, crime, and they're seeking safety. They're coming to the United States sort yeah. of like they're swimming in this vast ocean in the United States yep. is the only craft, and they're all trying to clamor to get on this very, very large craft. And <clears throat> we have a policy of either kicking them off or putting them in tugboats until we decide what to do with them. Right. Right. So yeah, it's a good description. Um, so if we just dealt with refugees, yeah. What what is your thinking on that? Why do you think we're stuck when it comes to simply helping people? And, yeah. the, and the reason why I ask that is a lot of people like to think they're well meaning. Uh, sometimes people they they talk about their religious beliefs and what it compels them to do. So why is a country that heavily touts Christianity stuck yeah. on helping refugees? My honest opinion, and I guess this is also for the immigration, is because you have these, so if you think about Democrats, Republicans, so you have, again, one side that has been conditioned by racial language to think about these people in a certain way, and you have another side that says it cares deeply, but does not care nearly as much as they want to pretend they do. Mm. When you ask people, do you think education is should be equal for everybody? Do you think refugees should be allowed? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're Democrats. They say, yeah, definitely, absolutely support that. Cool. Do you think they should live in your neighborhood? <laughs> what? My neighborhood? That, well... I don't mean they should live with me. I don't want them to be next door to me. I want them to be next door a few blocks away mm -hmm. with the other refugees. Mm -hmm. When you try to integrate housing, this neighborhoods, it's a disaster. Even in Democrat areas, it's mm -hmm. a disaster. Mm -hmm. They don't want those people in their heads, those people living with them. Mm -hmm. No matter what they say, they don't value refugees nearly as much as they want to say they do. They don't value integration nearly as much right when you look at now when you say they are you saying democrats and republicans yeah, yeah well in this case i'm saying democrats because republicans are pretty open about not wanting it they don't pretend that they want it they, they're, they're like no we don't want it we don't want them we're not going to tell you we do we don't want them at all we don't want them in our country we don't want them in our neighborhood well, well some have said they they want them to come the right way yeah yeah which is you know what is the right way there is no right way because you don't have a policy for the right way. Mm -hmm. It's like a it's circular logic. We mm -hmm. want them to come the right way. Well, then give us the right way. Well, we can't give you the right way because we got to fix what's happening right now. Wait a minute. <laughs> Which one is it? We can't fix what's happening if we don't have the right way. But right. We, you're giving me an impossible. It's like a logic problem that you can't solve. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But they're pretty they're pretty open about it. Mm -hmm. um, and on the other side, they don't. Democrats don't want people of color as much as they say they do. Mm. Not some of the newer Democrats who are made up of more people of color. Mm -hmm. As you see more minorities, that might change over time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you look at you look at busing, mm -hmm. busing is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. Busing didn't fail because it was unsuccessful. It was successful. If the idea was to close the education gap mm -hmm. and integrate school districts. Mm -hmm. Busing worked. Mm -hmm. In the South, busing was really successful. Mm -hmm. When the federal government made the South do it, mm -hmm. 
the districts integrated and the education gap started to close. It failed because there was no political appetite. And that was in all places. There was no appetite in the South. And there was no appetite in the North. You look mm-hmm. at places like Chicago, famous for its redlining. Chicago's mm-hmm. not a Republican city, last mm-hmm. I checked. Mm-hmm. It's a Democrat city. Why was the redlining in Chicago some of the worst in the country? Mm-hmm. Because Democrats didn't want black people to live with them. <laughs> and they haven't changed that much, right? New York today has some of, you know, a lot of these school districts are resegregating now. Mm-hmm. Right. New York is among the worst in the country. That's New York. Supposed to be like the bastion of liberal thought. (laughs) And here is a city that is deeply segregated in its schooling. Why is that? Where does that leave voters when particularly voters of color or voters of conscience? Yeah. You know, when they're looking to looking for parties to represent their ideals, to be the carriers of the mantle that that are important, that are important to, to them. How do voters make sense of that? Or do they just stop voting? A lot of them choose to stop voting. Mm -hmm. Where it leaves them is with a two-party system that is failing them and has been failing us all for a very long time. In a country of our size, with our diversity of thought, our diversity of race, of background, it's inexplicable to have two parties. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. There's no way two parties can cover 300 million people. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It, you know, I mentioned that my brother lives in Germany. Right. I mentioned that to you, you know, you right. before okay. we started. Mm-hmm. And you look at the number of political parties in a place like Germany mm-hmm. or a place like France. They have seven, eight political parties because they need them to mm-hmm. accurately represent a broad range of opinions and views. Mm-hmm. We have two. And this idea that the Democrats, and I talk more about Democrats because I identify as one. Mm -hmm. And so it it tends to hit a little closer to home because Mm -hmm. I want my party to be better. Mm -hmm. The idea that you can be a broad tent for everybody, there's no way you can represent the former union worker in Ohio, you know, a swing state. Mm -hmm. You can't represent the former union worker in Ohio, you know, who's from a a small town there. Mm while also trying to represent the, you know, bisexual Hispanic kid in L.A., Mm -hmm. while trying to also compete for these votes in Texas, you know, a place that is rapidly becoming more purple Mm -hmm. as immigrants move in. So you're trying to compete. You're trying to have a broad tent that represents all these people. How? And that's some of the um, stretching you see happening more in the Democratic Party, with uh, these breakouts of progressives, not yep. just liberals anymore, but progressives and yep. even talk of socialists yep. or socialist Democrats, whatever the terminology is, perhaps that is in response to what you're talking about. But I really want to go back to another point that you mentioned earlier, really alluding to how the civil rights movement was uh, so fundamental in some of the changes yeah. that, that we have because um, they were incorporating faith right in that. So how moving forward with you know with the change that's going on, the, the faith-based party for the most part seems to be the Republicans where you have single issue voters who elected Trump and a lot of them say because of their faith yep because some of the ideas he purported aligned with their faith. Um, how do you see that playing out in this 21st century? 
I think it's going to be it's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch, right? I mean, there's a slight resurgence of it. You see someone like uh, Buttigieg, the mm-hmm. Democrats. He's pretty open about being a person of faith, mm-hmm. how it fuels his view that we should be kinder, gentler. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I suspect that Democrats are going to continue to not talk about faith. And not talking about faith and not talking about race were the two yeah. things that you said, the two yeah. opportunities yep. lost. Yep. Among Democrats. Yeah. It's a huge mischance. Why, why are Democrats not talking about race and faith? Race, I think there's a, in some ways it's easier for Republicans to talk about faith or talk about race rather, because they don't have to directly appeal to voters of color. So if they misstep, there are no votes lost. They weren't going to vote for you anyway. Mm. Like Donald Trump doesn't care about he doesn't care about angering black voters. He's not counting on black voters to get elected. He doesn't care. What about the blacks for Trump? That whole segment of voters. It's a segment, but it's probably not like a substantial enough segment to power his election. Mm-hmm. It's just like a nice little side. Mm-hmm. Like, eh, I have some blacks who I can point at and say they support me, but I don't really need them. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're a Democrat, any misstep on race, it's almost a death sentence to your campaign. Right. I mean, you look at, so why would a politician debate. be afraid of a misstep if they're having yeah. a genuine discussion yeah. about race, race relations, or improving race relations? Right. I think they're afraid of it because you look at what happened after the first round of Democrat debates. Yeah. There were a lot of things said, but there was only one headline. Kamala Harris dismantles Joe Biden on blessing. Mm-hmm. Biden is looking at this going... This is a vote I took decades ago in a completely different political environment. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. How do you feel about the whole Kamala Biden thing? Do you think yeah. that Biden has some had made an error in his judgment? Or do you think he should have apologized? Or do you think Kamala was playing the political game and, and yeah. taking a, taking her shot? Yeah, I, I think she took her shot, which, look, you have to. Biden's the front runner in the polls. Mm-hmm. Politics is a full contact sport. He knew what he was signing up for. He's <laughs> done this before. He mm-hmm. knew what was going to come. It's like, you know what's happening here, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to go after you because you're you're the top guy right now. Mm-hmm. She saw that as an opportunity to just take control of the narrative. Tip my cap to her. Mm-hmm. But Biden got in trouble because in, in a way, he, he didn't want to fully embrace his his actual strength as a candidate, which would be, I do have the experience and I have done this and it does require a messy degree of compromise sometimes to mm-hmm. make things work. Mm-hmm. You don't always get what you want. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to work with people who you may find them to be personally repulsive. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change the fact that you might need their vote. And that doesn't mean that, and if you're talking about those people publicly, sometimes you have to say certain things in order to, you know, smooth it out. So it sounds like you were okay with Biden's explanation. Yeah, I was largely okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has some weaknesses as a candidate. He's not my preferred candidate. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with his explanation because the political era in which he took that vote was way different. You ha- you literally had to work with those people. There mm-hmm. was well, they were, were also colleagues. Democrats. They were his right. They were Democrats <laughs> and his colleagues. And you go, you know, at a certain, you don't want to 
think party unity matters more than anything else. But if you can't get your own coalition together, Mm -hmm. you can forget about getting the other side because Mm -hmm. if they see a crack in your coalition, they're going to split it to the hilt. We're seeing that right now. Yeah, we currently see that with the call out of the squad. Yeah. If, yeah. if you will, yep. with uh, the the divisions between uh, Ocasio-Cortez and Pelosi yep. are alleged divisions yep. or differences of opinion. Yep. Right. And um, uh, three or four of the three of the other folks who are in agreement with her and, and all of that, which is basically some people sum it up as to a, a difference in generational perspective. Yeah. Um, and some people say, no, this is a real change. Yeah. You know? Where do you fall on that? What is how does that hit you? The difference between those two, to me, it's it's more in technique, right? Mm-hmm. That, when you look at Nancy Pelosi's views, I think she largely aligns with everything that the squad wants. Mm-hmm. She just has a totally different opinion on how to go about getting it mm-hmm. because she says you're not going to get 90% of what you want. Mm-hmm. You can talk about it all you want, but we have a certain amount of political capital. Mm-hmm. You maybe only get one or two things, mm-hmm. and then that's it. Mm-hmm. We saw this play out, for instance, with Obama's first term. They bet everything on the Affordable Care Act. That was the big play. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, people wanted him to take care of immigration. We want you to take care of you know, gay marriage. Right. They said, "Look, the play for us is the Affordable Care Act." Mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi whipped the votes, mm-hmm. got everyone in line, and those people proceeded to get their brains beat in, in <laughs> 2010. And they knew mm-hmm. by casting this vote, right. we will be unelected in a year like we are going to lose wow. they're going to pin us to the wall and mm-hmm. that's what they did republicans did it in 2010 there was a wave a bunch of people lost their jobs in washington mm-hmm. and that was it how does that play out at home to when you're looking at a as a voter and you're looking and maybe you say you know i want health care and i want it this way or you know that version of health care did have the public option yeah right? um but you say i want this and then do you support people that that vote? I mean, first of all, let's go back to how it plays out with you, yeah. the voter. Yeah. That all of that the political drama, does that matter to you? It matters to me because when I'm looking at people to vote for, I think you have to you have to pick a person who is going to stick to the thing that matters most to you as a voter. And you have to know you're not going to get a whole bucket of stuff from them right pick the thing that matters the most and pick the candidate who you think is going to deliver that to you and then accept (laughs) that there will be some sacrifices as a result of getting the thing you want you're not going to get it all and so for me as a voter Mm -hmm. you know i think that the income disparity in this country is a big driver of a lot of problems. Is that the pressing issue for you politically? Yeah, it is. What do you need to see um, on this in this upcoming election that that helps you to understand that a particular person you want to vote for gets that? I yeah. mean, what would they have to? Because income disparity is one thing. What they would do to help yep. alleviate it is something yep. else. Yep. So, what do you need to see? I need to see concrete ideas for one. So is this is more than raising the minimum wage to you? Yeah, this is more than just raising the minimum wage. That helps. But I also, so specifically, I want a progressive tax system. What does that mean to you? That means we all end up having to pay more taxes. But it also means that the people at the top do end up having to pay significantly more to fund 
programs that would help those who don't have as much. I personally, I'm going to pay more taxes for healthcare, for instance. Mm -hmm. The progressive tax base is the foundation of everything that every Democrat candidate says they want. If they're not talking about a progressive tax base underneath it all, then it's smoke and mirrors. Mm. It just won't work. Mm -hmm. If they're not giving you details about how they're going to even try to pay for stuff, then they're not serious about it. Mm -hmm. If they're not willing to make the case to voters, this thing is worth paying for, Mm -hmm. then they don't really support their ideas. So that's why... Like I, Elizabeth Warren is my preferred candidate. I was going to ask you yeah. that because she's the one who seems to have spoken to this the most as far as an actual plan. Yeah. So out of all of the candidates, she's right now the, yeah. the leading one for you. Yep. Let me ask you this just to play devil's advocate. Yeah. Is there anything that our current President Trump could do to win your vote on this? At this point, no. Um, speaking, so for me personally, no. Mm-hmm. Again, as as a person of color, I have a daughter who is uh, our oldest daughter is autistic. Mm-hmm. And so when he went on stage and very publicly made fun of a handicapped person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you can go ahead and X that one out forever. <laughs> There's no coming back so from so that. You're, you're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything about him is a affront to my life. Mm-hmm. Everything about him is a daily insult. Every word he utters, every gesture he makes is insulting to me on like a fundamental level. Your brother lives in Germany. What is yeah. what does he hear about our government and the United States and our president over there? They think we're crazy. They don't <laughs> understand how we have this person who they say is, you know, who's so obviously unqualified and unfit and mm-hmm. there's just nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. Like you're just stuck. You're just going to ride it out. <laughs> you're just going to accept that it might happen again. Like that's an option. Like there's no option to just say, "Hey, you got to go, man." Mm-hmm. Like you're terrible at your job. Also, you're a criminal. And you guys are just, you're, you're just going to do that. Mm-hmm. You're just going to let it, let it go. And you're going to roll the dice that there's like a. Well, I think the biggest question 40% is. 40% chance he'll win again. Right. Right. <laughs> but I think the biggest question is his base will let it, will, is willing to let it go from the accusations of sexual yeah. misconduct yeah. to uh, collusion yep. and some other misdealings. Yep. That the biggest question is that for a base that is said to be heavily religious that that base appears to be accepting yeah. of of the president and his presentation as his actions and so forth. So what would you say to someone that supports President Trump? Like for whatever reason, for instance, there was a gentleman who voted for President Trump who was married to an illegal alien. Yeah. Some people say, I say undocumented. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but for the sake of those listening, which I pick which semantics works for you. Um, and long story short, they were married for like 10 years and she was working and all of that. And she was deported. And they asked them, well, do you still support Trump? And he said, yes. And they said, why? Because he felt that Trump was going to turn over Roe v. Wade. Right. And that yep. became the the issue for him. And he's willing to sacrifice his family dynamic, his wife, who is now who has now been deported and permanently she can never come back to this yep. country. So that's a pretty strong stance to take. Yeah, it is. You know, so what would you say to someone like that? Well, um, for someone like that, I don't think there's a way of convincing them to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump support among his base has risen, mm-hmm. you know, you would think with everything that's happened, 
people would be changing their minds, but there's no indication that's happening. Right. His support's like like 93% among Republicans, 92, 93, somewhere mm-hmm. around there, like mm-hmm. sky high. Mm-hmm. They love him. Mm-hmm. He's delivering exactly what they wanted, which, as you mentioned, is Supreme Court justices who will, they hope, overturn Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think there's a way to talk to them in part because there's this information. We don't have information symmetry anymore, right? If you're watching Fox news, Mm -hmm. if you're on Facebook and your feed is filled with conservative posts and conservative memes, conservative ideas, you're essentially living in a totally different world. There's not even like a, you know, that's one of the things that the previous movements benefited from, right? Is, Mm -hmm. You had like Dan Rather, you had like, you know, Bro Call. Mm-hmm. You had like three or four big news anchors. Everyone was watching the same news. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter if you were conservative or liberal or whoever. You were watching the same news. Mm-hmm. You were reading the same papers. Mm-hmm. So you sort of had to live in at least this shared reality. Mm-hmm. We don't do that anymore. So back to the comment that we that were the issue we were talking at talking about at the very beginning with your parents yeah. even though they may have had different views they had shared values and right basically what you're telling me is that now we we don't we can't have conversations because we no longer have shared values yeah i think that's true and it's a depressing answer <laughs> i wish i could give like a different more positive hopeful answer but the truth is i i think I think the information we receive is so fractured mm-hmm. that I don't think you even have the basis to have a conversation about where we should go next mm-hmm. if you are coming from two completely different places. Because how can you, if you legitimately, honestly, in your heart, believe that like immigrants are a threat to destroy America, how can I have a conversation? when they believe something at their core mm-hmm. that repudiates everything I believe and is an immediate rejection of anything I could say, we don't even share the same facts. You know, when the president says alternative facts, it's easy to like, it's such a laughably ridiculous statement when he said it, because we're looking at the pictures and we're like, we can see the crowd sizes. Like we're not blind. <laughs> like it's very obvious. One of these things is not like the other, like, you know, like the old game, right, like you go right. like, it's a, it's a fruit, a fruit, a fruit, a vegetable. Oh, it's pretty obvious. That's how it felt when he trots out Sean Spicer and he's like, oh yeah, the president had the biggest crowd ever. We've got, that's ridiculous. Who's falling for that? A lot of people. Hmm. You ask who, who fell for that? A lot of people fell for that. The answer is a whole lot of people fell for it. Maybe they think there's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But when Fox News goes, oh yeah, the president's right. Go, what? Are you are you guys serious? Mm-hmm. Like you, you're not even going to contest that the president is this. And that's like the opening salvo of his presidency, right? Literally from the first week, we're immediately in alternative facts and we've just been sprinting. <laughs> Ever since then, we've been sprinting down this path of like, president says things that obviously aren't true. Like it's what he did with his rally the other day. Right. He goes, I immediately stopped the crowd when they said, send her back. Well, that's not true. I saw the video. Like, it's just not true, man. How can you say that? That's ridiculous. Well, he said it and Fox news ran with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Mitch McConnell pretended he was deaf and a bunch of Republicans hit in elevators and they just, 
<laughs> like we're just not going to say anything about it. And you go, how can you not say anything? Like you guys trying to hide behind curtains? Like you just do hide till the blows over. Yes. And so until we get on the same page and recognizing things as they are, yeah. perhaps uh, conversations will be hard to come by. And unfortunately, we yeah. will have to end, end the conversation there. There's so much <laughs> more that we can explore uh, with that. And hopefully we can have you come back. Yeah. But with that, I want to thank you, Anthony, for coming and sharing your voice as a voter. All voters' voices are welcomed on this program so that we can get to the point where we can have civil discourse and get people talking again about the things that matter most to the America that we want to build in common. So thank you and thank our listeners for listening in.